Howdy, y'all. This episode of South of Scruffy Podcast is brought to you by Cosmetic. Cosmetic CBD-infused hemp pain cream helps ease aches, pain, inflammation, and arthritic pains by using their proprietary CBD formula. It naturally fights inflammation in achy muscles and joints, and you can get 20% off of your entire cosmetic order by going to cosmedicated.com. That's C-A-U-S-E, medicated.com, and using promo code SOS20 at checkout. That's SOS20, 20% off of your whole order. Do it. All right. Podcast time. Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast, friends. My name is Ben Fields. This is my podcast. It's a nice day. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. I hope everyone had a great, uh, safe Independence Day weekend. We've got a good show for you today. My friend Jonathan Keeney came by the shop right before he uh, headed back home to California. So I got to talk to my old buddy, Jonathan Keeney. Keeney's a multi-instrumentalist who founded a number of bands here in Knoxville, like Ganacita and Baseball. But uh, he's also toured with a number of national acts over the years that you may be familiar with. He played in a few bands that you may remember from from this show. Uh, like, I, I didn't know this, but Keeney played with uh, the Blue Brothers, which was South of Scruffy alum Chris Blue's first band. And uh, Keeney was the pedal steel player for the Black Lilies with our friend Cruz for a few years. He was a member of Leanne Womack's band. Uh, he played with the Warren Treaty, toured with them for a minute. And uh, now he's back at work uh, in Los Angeles after a long forced break from touring. Sounds like he's ready to go. I'm so glad he came by. Quick update here. We got zero mouse sightings in the shop in three weeks, which is nice. And uh, the shop record on the uh, Rubik's Cube solve is now down to two minutes and nine seconds, which is pretty fast. But uh, SOS alum Jenny Andrews just notified me this morning that she is down to four minutes and 45 seconds on the on the solve. So we got some competition out there. You guys ready to do the show? Let's do it. Here we go. Here's my man, Jonathan Keeney. We're doing the pop count. <laughs> Wait. You've been living out of a backpack for four months? I've been living out of a backpack. That's fun. That's that's a big reason why I decided to, to book a flight home back to California. So I, could, yeah. so I could find my way out of that backpack. But before I got back to Tennessee, I was actually in Mexico. Okay. For two months. I don't know if we talked about this or not. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I don't remember talking about much. <laughs> well, uh, well, you and I met in California. And that's what you call home now, huh? It is. Uh, my my home is 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 ever shifting, yeah. I feel like. But it is that's where most of my belongings are. Los Angeles? Los Angeles. What part of LA yeah. do you live in? So that's that's another shifting. The backpack? The shifting, <laughs> yeah, the shifting of the sands. Um, so I, I lived in Echo Park or Filipino Town. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Up to two? Um, like near, up to 101. Near Eagle Rock and all that. No, no. Philip, uh, just Echo Park is right next to Silver Lake. Oh, okay. Yeah. Los Feliz. Yeah, Los Feliz, kind of. Yeah. So downtown-ish, but far enough away to where it's a little quiet and... Yeah, not as many haggard people. When was the last time you were in LA? So I flew back there. I I left Mexico two months ago. I flew back to Tennessee 
I flew back to LA about six weeks ago to pick up a guitar and a pedal board. Yeah. And I flew back here. Okay. And how long have you been in town? So I've been here close to two months, I guess, okay. sir. I'm glad I ran into you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I said before we started, our uh, it's hard to believe that our friendship is old enough to drive a car now. <laughs> we met in uh, 2005, I think. Probably not safely, but it is old <laughs> enough to drive a car. <laughs> so how I met you was I came back to my apartment in L.A. after a day of work. And uh, my, my roommate, Josh Lowry, was uh, in the apartment with like three or four guys, I think. And it was JT, Trippett, Andy Stiltz. Jesse Loveday, and you, I think. You, you had, I, I think I think you interjected JT into that story. JT wasn't there. Uh uh-uh. uh. Okay. I don't, I don't believe so. So it was South Knox guys. South Knox guys. We're sitting in my apartment, and I was like, I don't know any of you guys, but we know a lot of the same people. Why? Why were we there? So, I so Josh know. knows Andy. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Josh and Andy Stilts were buddies. Yeah. Yeah. So Jesse Loveday had just gone through a. Uh, uh, historic breakup. Ah, and they they made a pilgrimage to the West Coast, to the big city, to the big city. The little like, get him to the Greek, or to, you know, like a hangover story. Yeah, exactly. did it did it turn out to be that good? Uh, you know, your version is as good as mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I I don't guess know we, what we can talk about. Yeah. Here, <laughs> but you ended up. So that was two thousand five. Were you were you living out there at the time? I was living in Paso Robles. Yeah, which yeah. is like. Uh, the closest big city, I guess, is San Luis Obispo. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, if you can even consider San Luis Obispo a big city. Yeah. I mean, it's got Cal Poly and a big prison there that employs a bunch of people. Sure. There's a nude, <laughs> there's a nude beach close. Oh, really? So. And all those volcanoes. There's like seven dormant volcanoes around uh, Paso or around uh, San Luis Obispo, I think. Is that right? Moro Rock. Yeah. Moro Rock is out there. And there's like, there's this little like chain of, uh, there's this chain of uh, dormant volcanoes in the mid in in the mid uh, mid coast. Of I California. did not know that. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's pretty cool. What what were you doing? Just living the dream? Yeah, you know, going going to live the the pastoral life, I suppose. You, you know? and I were both supposed to be in college at that point. I think exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you can imagine what happened. That why I ended up in California? Yeah. Yeah, I I decided college wasn't for me at that at that particular moment. Yeah, and uh, kind of packed up a car with a guitar, which I did not know how to play very well at the time. Uh, a Vox m- modulating amp, amp, amp modeling Vox amp, yeah. and an air mattress. <laughs> Did you drive out there? I drove. You out had that there. blue car. It was like a protege, a Mazda protege, silver, silver Mazda protege. Yeah. 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 Okay. And yeah, so I packed up and drove out there and I worked in some restaurants. So, so I didn't live in Paso proper. I lived in uh, Lake Nacimento, which is oh. kind of like a, a, I don't know, a lake, a lake getaway, which yeah, it's like Teleco Village or something, right? Kind of. Yeah. Teleco Village, but really tucked away in wine country up yeah. in the mountains. I remember coming up to stay with you a couple of times yeah. up there and it was beautiful, man. So beautiful. Was there a rope swing involved? There was. On the lake? Yeah, there was a rope swing. And that was Lake Nacimento? Lake Nacimento. Yeah. Well, it was funny because you stayed out there and then uh, the other guys that just came up for the historic breakup trip mm-hmm. went back and you and I started hanging out. Even we though did. We, we lived three hours away from we each did. other. We did. We yeah. did. You know, at that point, I was I was 
not content and like it's sitting in Lake Nascimento. So any broke any break I got from work, I would take off and go explore Yosemite or come down to LA yeah. and come see you or yeah. go up to San Francisco or go to Big Sur for, yeah. for a week or whatever it was. I, I seem to remember you had a mandolin with you at the time. I did. Yeah. And and you were learning to play it. Hadn't quite figured it out yet. I, I had just acquired that mandolin on the way out um, to California seeing string cheese incident yeah uh, and they've I, got a mandolin in the band they do <laughs> and i actually took his mandolin. Yeah. <laughs> i uh so we were staying in sort of a you know young kids not a whole lot of money sharing sharing a hotel room with six eight people whatever it would be at the time going on tour going on tour to see string cheese incident to see string cheese how fun except i had a destination i was going on tour to make it to california yeah um, but somebody had left this this old K mandolin, probably, I don't know, 1920, 1930 K mandolin. Wow. And we couldn't track down the owner, so I ended up becoming the, the owner and and hopefully learner of the instrument at some point. Yeah. You know, that's kind of where where my my love for bluegrass and love for acoustic music started. Yeah, it was interesting because, you know, that was that was my and you and I have had this thing where we've gone apart, come back together, you know, over the years. Always seem to come back, which is awesome. Uh but it wasn't long after that, like picking up a mandolin and, and, and learning to play the guitar and all that, like didn't you go back to school for uh for music at UT? I did eventually. So so I lived out in California for about a year. Um I chased a woman that I met in San Francisco up okay. to Seattle. Okay. But my my time spent in California, if I wasn't traveling and I wasn't coming to see you or go to shows or whatever we would do, well, we don't need to talk about all those details <laughs> on here. And I was, I was spending a lot of time in my room just listening to music and trying to figure out how to play guitar because I'd never had a lesson in my life. I right. was just, you know, trying to learn solos or learn how to play chords, listening to a lot of Grateful Dead, Fish, String Cheese, you know, jam band stuff for the yeah. most part. But it didn't take long, and, and I started to realize it was like everything else in your life. You picked it up pretty quick. You were good at it after, after in a short, short order, it seemed like. Like four or five years later, you you picked up the pedal steel. Like you, you, you were playing all different kinds of instruments, it seemed like, and with, at very, with very high proficiency. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that, Ben. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's it's all subjective, you know. You look up to people that that are more proficient than you always, and yeah. there's always something more to strive to. Sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of time. I, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with playing music. I fell in love with playing music with people eventually after I kind of had this, like, year, this sort of come-to year of self-discovery of what it was that I was trying to get out of music. Yeah. And then I took that back to Tennessee after I moved back here from Seattle, sort of a roundabout, just the the scenic route yeah. up through the Northwest. Yeah. And then I ended up back in Tennessee. And, you know, after several years of working dead-end jobs, I ended up back in school. And studied music, right? Studying music, yeah. Studied, studied jazz and pr- pretty – Pretty strictly jazz, more so than I would have have liked in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, as much respect, I have nothing but respect for the for the jazz program here in Knoxville. But it is, you know, coming coming from 
a different background of various musics. I was not, you know, what you, what you would consider a jazz head coming in. So. Right. And not a lot of guitar players are, especially going into that program. But it's it can be a little bit narrow, but I'm more than appreciative for, for everything that yeah. I learned from that. From that so, place so who are the big guys that are, you know, big in the jazz guitar world that you're like listening to at that time and looking up to? Is it the big three, like Matheny, Schofield, and uh, who's the other one? I forget who the other uh, uh, Bill Frizzell. Those those three guys. I, you know, I I really didn't know Bill Frizzell until maybe the second year of, of college. Um, he's certainly, if not my favorite, one of my top three really? favorite musicians still to this day. Yeah. Um, and to not be a jazz head. And he's not it, a jazz well, head. Well, and you're not a jazz head. Well, Bill Frizzell's not a jazz. I mean, he is. He's yeah. certainly a jazz musician. He's an instrumental music player. Yeah. But he also takes American music, folk, rock, um, you know, blues, all, yeah. all kinds of these like found foundational American musics and brings them into the jazz realm of yeah. sorts, just because it's, you know, anything instrumental is going to be coined jazz music. Right. Some kind of jazz. There might be another, another name. Sure. You know, sure. I it. think, I think his, I think Bill Frizzell's umbrella is more Americana. Yeah. So, so you always hear like the term jazz trained musician, like kind of propped up when, when people talk about, you know, these prolific musicians is, is jazz like a good base to work from? Like if you can understand jazz and play jazz and you can somewhat improvise and you get the theory of all of it, is it a good base to throw other, other disciplines on top of and be able to kind of, if you learn jazz, you can kind of do most of everything else. I don't know if, I think it's absolutely a good foundation. Um, I think there's something to be said for, in any style of music, more some more than others, I think there's something to be said for being able to have a dialogue non-verbally. Mm. And, and I think that's mostly, or it, if not mostly, a big part of what I pulled from learning that music. You're, gotcha. You know, you're, you're interacting with people. You're, right. You're spending time. You're not just standing there on a stage with somebody. You're interacting yeah. with people musically. Yeah. And, and I think it also trains your ears in a... In mm. a in a more broad way than maybe just playing rock or right country music would. I remember, I think you were still in school, but I remember you did a show and it may have been at the Bijou. Did you, did you write a piece of music or write some music and perform, you know, as a solo jazz guitarist at the Bijou? No, I didn't. I wish, I wish I could say I did. I thought you had some kind of like, I thought it had something to do with school and you had, you'd played, with somebody i forget i forget what i'm thinking about but were you there four years it's, it's very possible yeah i don't have a great memory bank <laughs> I, I don't think that's the case but yeah. uh, i was i was in school i mean all said and done i was in school like seven years or so mm. you know um so I, I went back to school realizing that i did not want to do what I was doing, you know, working restaurant jobs or, yeah. you know, which just is hopping what, around from, which is what jazz musicians end up doing anyways, for the most part, after they get out of school, yeah. you're going to work a restaurant job anyways. Um, Nashville's full of them. Nashville's full of them. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was in school for close to six years. I, I was in the jazz program for three so, because I had already gotten all of my other hoopla out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then were you playing in bands when you were in college? 
I was. So we, I still had a, an original group that I was playing with called Ganasita. Yeah. Yeah. Joey Jacquard. Joey Jacquard. Matt Gallagher. What's Matt he Gallagher. Will Minnick. And uh, Daniel Dunlap. Okay. Yeah. All those guys still around? Will has unfortunately passed. He's he's moved on. Sorry. Um, Dunlap has just moved back to Tennessee. He was okay. he was working for NASA for his postdoctorate. He's uh he's actually a planetary geologist. Okay. So <laughs> that's heavy duty. One of the one of the few science minds to come out of South Knoxville. So <laughs> I love you, Dunlap. I think I might have met him. Maybe hanging out with Chase. Yeah, I'm sure you have. Yeah. I think I might have gone to a music festival with Dunlap. Uh-huh. Ganacita was awesome, man. Yeah, it was, how, a, it was a really fun group. Yeah, how would you describe that that kind of music? I remember a didgeridoo being around or something. Heavy on the didgeridoo. So it yeah. was, I think, you know, it, it certainly it certainly changed forms as the years went on. Yeah. Um, but initially, it was sort of a, a folk-based group. Joey and Matt had just gotten back from a, a trip to Australia where they learned to play didgeridoo. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And it was it was pretty folk songwriter based, and then it kind of started transforming into this didgeridoo trance music, trance jam music, and and that's that's kind of where we started playing in clubs, and people started listening to us. I think so. That was your first that was your first band that that really worked. I think that was yeah. So I mean, I, I did have a band with with Josh Manus in high school. Oh really? Mm-hmm. He's been over here. Yeah, yeah. He's a really close friend of mine. We more or less learned to play guitar together. I mean, I, I say that I went out to California and learned to play guitar, but me and Josh learned how to play some Metallica songs growing yeah. up. And um, Yeah. His brother, too, did he play? He did. His brother's a great drummer as yeah. well. Do you guys live close to each other? Yeah. Yeah, not not too far from where we're sitting. Yeah. It's yeah. it's fun, It's fun, man. Like, I, I keep as, as a... It's just it's so interesting that, yeah, I live over here now because I, I've for no good reason seemingly met a lot of my really closest friends that are from, you know, the same crew that you guys ran around with in South Knox. And it's just good people, man. Just good folks, dude. And uh had a lot of talent came out. I think like. so. I think so. I'm not I think maybe it's because of the lack of our public education we had oh. to we had to develop some kind of uh <laughs> outside talent dude somebody told me you lettered in five high school sports is that true i don't <laughs> i know you hate talking I, about yourself I, I had i had at least at least two okay maybe three well i also heard that you were just like a scratch golfer i i, I guess i lettered what what does lettering mean exactly i don't know it means you get a letter jacket I never had one of those, though. You got to order it. <laughs> yeah. You think I could still order it? Yeah. But you played soccer, right? Played soccer. You're really good at soccer. I used to be okay at soccer. Well, we played yeah. on the same indoor team a little bit. Yeah. And you and Jonathan Kerr were the best guys out there. That was pretty Did, awesome. Didn't we play with like uh, Vic Upshaw? Yeah. Some of those guys, too. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say that I was better than him. Oh, well. Yeah. Okay. Demetrius. Demetrius. Yeah. yeah. Some really good, like national champion, uh, high school national champion uh, soccer players. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, so I, I played club soccer with like Derek Radcliffe and, yeah. and, uh, Britton Colquitt and yeah. that whole, that whole crowd. Yeah. Some great talent there. Some great talent. Derek was like the Gatorade player, national player of the year. Yeah. In high school. And then, you know, Britton punts for, he's won a Super Bowl with the Broncos punting and, and then, 
I guess, playing for the Browns. He probably won't win any more Super Bowls. He might be with the Vikings now. Some, I forget. He's with one or the other. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough trade for him. Yeah. More opportunity in it than there is in soccer, though. For sure. It, it seems like. We have a soccer team coming here, a professional soccer team. Really? Yeah, not an MLS team or anything, but, you know, farm, farm system okay. type stuff. Yeah, it's going to be cool. You know, I can't even sit down and watch a soccer game anymore. Really? No, this is something, maybe not a, a rub point between me and my friend Jonathan Kerr, who you're talking about, but he, he still absolutely loves soccer, and I, I can't sit down and watch Well, he's it. in L.A. He's in L.A. Do you guys hang out? Not as much as I would like to. Not as much as you did when you both lived in South Knox? <laughs> well, probably more than <laughs> than we did yeah. when, uh, when we both lived in Knoxville. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Jonathan lives in L.A. He's actually in town right now. Is he really? Yeah, that's a, that's aside from the point. You shouldn't have told me. No, Maddie hadn't called me yet. Yeah, he <laughs> so, can he canceled the coffee date on me this morning. So. Oh, bummer! Probably yeah. had to work. He did. He's a hardworking guy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So when did baseball start? Was that the second band, or were there more in between Ganasita and? Uh... Well, so so after Ganasita, that was when I was starting to, you know, I guess become more proficient at some of my instruments. So I started picking up gigs with other groups around town. Like gotcha. I, was, I was playing a lot of shows with a, a bluegrass kind of new grass group called Big Country's Empty Bottle. Yeah. Sam Ma- Sammy McAteer. Sammy McAteer. Adam Petty. Exactly. What was the name of that? Um, I talked to Sammy about it when he was, came on the podcast. Uh, that like little gym store and on Market Square. Mama Jans. Mama Jans. Yeah. yeah. I remember seeing you guys there a few times. Yeah. Played a lot of weird shows in my life. Those were those were some of the strangest shows really? I've ever played. Yeah. So was that mandolin for you or guitar? Playing all mandolin with that group. Okay. Yeah. So learning jazz at at UT and and then just kind of playing mandolin along the way. Just yeah, learning mandolin and trying trying to apply some of the stuff. You know, ultimately mandolin is just an upside down tuned guitar for yeah. four the, for four of the strings. So you, the bottom four strings. Exactly. G D A E. So, Hey now. Hey, yeah. Did you go to school? No, I, tr- I played nice. the mandolin for about ten minutes. <laughs> well, you remember the tuning better than me. But all I know is you flip it upside down, and that's and you can get all the chords. That's that's how I started to learn to play mandolin. It's like, oh yeah, this is guitar, but you just do this. Um, but yeah, I was trying to trying to translate some of that stuff that I was doing on guitar, mm-hmm. and playing mandolin, and also playing some form of like ragtag bluegrass you know i never mm. never really got into the into the heavy heavy bluegrass scene i remember I, I was playing mandolin for probably two or three years at this point i walked into mckay's and picked up a bill, bill monroe cd and realized how to play like a big g chord which i oh yeah a big four finger g chord yeah and it took me looking at a bill monroe best of <laughs> cd case to learn the first chord <laughs> to, to learn like the to learn like the big full chord yeah cuz i was kind of playing more folk style open string chords well that's what's interesting about like th- that makes a that makes you know a point for jazz being a good foundation is that you understood the theory and even though you didn't know the technique for a mandolin you were able to figure the damn thing out yeah, yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. I would, I would get up there and fake it, and yeah. I still do to this day. No, come on, I do, I yeah. do. I mean, it's, it's smoke and mirrors. I mean, sure, you, it, it helps to have a foundation, but I mean, when you're improvising, you're just trying to pull from your experience. That's that's the way that I look at it, at improvising, at least. You gotcha. Know, you're pulling from your life experience, pulling from your day, 
and yeah. and trying to translate that into music. And that's part of that jazz conversational part of it too, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, I've got something to say. Yeah, tell tell a story about yeah. yourself. Yeah, and and I think that's you know that's soloing or improvising at its at its best. Yes, yeah. you know, being able to tell a story. Well, what were what were some more of the what was the musical journey like after Big Country? Did you stay in the bluegrass world? No, I think I think my departure from the blue from the blue bluegrass world happened pretty quickly after that. I guess baseball sort of came around then in terms of bands. You know, in between all these sort of projects, I was just picking up anything that I could to work. Me and uh, me and a good friend of mine, Clint Mulliken, were playing Crew uh, yeah. downtown, the, the wine bar, Crew Wine Bar, which yeah. I, I is now defunct. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a chicken place now. Yeah. Well, me and me and Clint had a had a standing gig at at these, or I guess I did, and Clint would grace me with his presence whenever he was around. Well, next time you see Clint, tell him that this is a fairly painless process coming over here. <laughs> I've been on him for two years okay. to, to to come over and hang out. I will. He's a uh, he's an an enigmatic fellow. I love him though. Yeah, great dude, and you know, it's good people. Good people. He's mandolin oranges bass player, right? He is, and he, yeah. and I mean, just just spending those. And I know you're talking about projects, but spending those, you know, three hours of playing music to you know five or ten people, yeah, in, in a wine bar with that guy, yeah, um, really, I I owe a lot to to that experience. Really, just like being able to, because he's he's a very special kind of musician, mm. and everybody I talk to that's played with him says he's a world class musician. He's a world class musician. World class guy, really, yeah. really easy to be around with. And yeah. uh but I I owe a lot of, you know, just my my musical experience to however stupid or trite those gigs were, um, to both of us. It was it was a good experience to be able to play with somebody like that for three hours. Yeah. Uninterrupted. Right. So he was playing bass and you were playing guitar? Playing guitar. Electric or acoustic or both? Playing electric, yeah. Okay. You know, we get into some Bill Frizzell stuff, we would play you know, jazz standards, American Songbook, um, Stevie Wonder, some pop songs, cool. wh- whatever it, whatever it took to keep us. It was a duo. It was just a duo. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so getting so quickly from like not not playing in any other setting besides like a big kind of jam band. Yeah. You know, getting into that situation where it's all broken down and it's just two of y'all that have to carry yeah. that have to carry a sound. Yeah. It was a little intimidating at first, but. Yeah. You know, Clint just like took me by the arm, sometimes put me on his shoulders. Yeah. It's like this is how we do it. It's awesome. Yeah. So so would you say that you learned as much doing that as you did in school? <laughs> I would say. Yeah. I mean, I think I think there's what what I mostly gathered out of school was was the relationships with people like Clint. Mm. You was know, he the, at UT at the same time? He was. Yeah. In the same program? Yeah. Okay. Where's yeah. he from? He's from Oh man! I don't mean to put you on the well, spot. No, he's from Chattanooga, yeah. but it's a very specific place. Up Saudi north, Daisy, close to Saudi Daisy. <laughs> yeah, he he loves a sandwich place called Ankars. Okay, so I know it's closer than Ankars up there. Okay, somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So so at, at Crew, you guys are setting up as a duo, and that goes how long? How how many That's, gigs did you guys play? Well, that was that lasted close to two years. Wow. Uh, weekly, and Clint wasn't always there. Sometimes I would sub it out, but. So just to bring this full full circle, I was I was just trying to make a living, right? Um, doing this at that point, this is my first time like stepping out, and, like trying to trying to find a way to 
to make ends meet. Even, yeah. It was meager, but I was still finding a way to to make a living playing music at that point. And that's that's the dream. Um, and it, it seemed like there for a while you'd pop up just about everywhere. Seemed, I mean, you're a hardworking musician, man. You got out there and, and, and you did it. And it's clear that you have a huge passion for it. Um, and it was just so odd for, for me to see it because I, I, I felt like I saw, I saw you before you were this, you know, what I think is a very talented, prolific musician. And just to see that, like, it happened in fairly short order. But every time I saw you, you got better, whether it was at the guitar or the mandolin and then, you know, the pedal steel after a while. It was it was super cool to see um, just just this like it just felt like a meteoric rise that that was was happening and um, just kept getting better. And I and I, I always, you know, I always felt at your shows. I was like, man, yeah. I knew him when he barely knew how to play the mandolin. <laughs> now look at him. You should have seen this guy playing the mandolin. <laughs> um, what was what was after those gigs? What, so what so the then, I, I mean, that was that was sort sort of all intermingled in the baseball. Um, baseball was unfortunately a, a very short lived adventure. Yeah, um, there was a lot of a lot of really in demand people in that in that group. Yeah, and it was a big band too, right? It was a big band, arguably too big. I yeah. think we got up to. We might have a had, whole baseball team at some I point. We might have had nine people. Yeah, at least eight. I, I saw you with with nine people at a show once for the first time. I think that I had seen you guys. Yeah, and I looked and I counted nine people on stage, okay. and I was like, "Oh, that's why they call themselves baseball." Uh huh. But that that doesn't. That's not the story. No, that's not the story. Yeah. Um, and the story is not that not that exciting. I remember the story though. Do you? Yeah. Your boy was spaced out, looking into outer space. One of the members of the band. Uh huh. Who was it? Julius Blue. Julius Blue. Yeah. Is he related to Chris Blue? He is. One of his brothers. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And somebody can I can I tell the story? Can yeah, I can please. I can I try to uh, No no. And please. then somebody looked over at him and was like, Hey Julius, what are you thinking about? And he just looked up and said, Baseball. He said, I'm just thinking about baseball, man. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Chris Blue had a ton of brothers. Has a ton of brothers. Yeah, so that's another thing that me and Clint were you know, fortunate enough to do. We played in Chris Blue and and the Blue. They they were the Blue Brothers at this point before Chris obviously went out and you know made his name. Yeah. On the Voice. You were in that band. Yeah. So it was a, a gospel family band. And okay. Julius, Chris and Julius. Uh, Chris. Chris was one of the singers. Mookie, uh, who's an incredible like sort of and one style basketball player, like can really? jump through the roof, yeah, dribble off his knees and bounce it off his head. Not, and, not so much trick uh, style, but he's, he's known as a, he's a dunker. Like he will, he just jumps through the roof, jumps out of the gym, jumps out of the gym. Um, and I'm, uh, okay. I'm not going to forget his name. PJ was the oldest brother. So okay. Mookie, PJ and Chris were the three singers. Okay. Julius keyboard player and Jonathan was the drummer. <clears throat> so there's five of them. Was Jonathan in baseball? Jonathan was not in baseball. That's okay. Nolan Nevels. Nolan, yeah. Yeah. Nevels, yeah. Yeah, so um yeah, so me and that was another divergent project that me and Clint were, you know, it it's not really a linear thing. Right. Like they they kind of dip you dip in and out of stuff while you're still in one band still, or Still well, I was still in it felt like 15 projects at once. Right. You know? Cuz they never died or or what? Like it just we quit playing <laughs> gigs for now. Sort of, I mean, or or just people would take a little break or not have a gig, and 
again, just trying to make a living, but also, you know, love, loving playing, but, yeah. you know, trying, trying to make a living playing, you know, if I can be honest, you know, playing for $50 a show a lot of the times, so, yeah. you know, because you love it a hundred dollars. Yeah. I, I loved it, but because I loved it and because I also chose that to, as my life path, I had to work four times as hard right. because I didn't have another source of income to, to fall back on. So, right. So all of these things were sort of colliding together and overlapping one another. Gotcha. Yeah. So you were in the Blue Brothers, man. Chris, Chris told me about that when he was here. Yeah. I, and I, I hadn't, I didn't know that you were in that band. You know, they. I think they had a handful of different guitarists. Me and Clint gotcha. played for probably at least a year, maybe two, on and off. We did a, a handful of tours. One was down to Florida, which I don't think Clint actually did that one. Went to North Carolina. We did a, a lot of church services around here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you got tied in with, with the church at some point, didn't you? I did. I did. I And and this was also in another attempt to to try to pay my rent at, the, at this really? point. I answered a Craigslist ad, which was for a, a church guitar player. My second year in school, my second year in college, back in college. I must have been 25, 24, mm-hmm. 25 mm-hmm. at that point. And it and it was a, a small church over off of Martin Luther King, uh, New Salem Baptist, mm. and so I kind of got roped into playing. Not roped in. I, I loved every minute of it. It's actually some of my most special music musical experiences that I can remember. Yeah, um, come from that church. So I I, I, d- I distinctly remember this time because you know you might be playing a show at the pub on Saturday night with whoever baseball or what whatever outfit you were with at the time. And, you know, it'd be midnight or something. I'm like, you know, Keeney, you're not drinking a beer? You're like, no, nah, I'm getting ready to go, man. I've, you know, I've got a, I'm playing a church service in I'm the morning. I'm a church boy. Yeah, I'm a church guy. I got to play the church at 7 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that what it was every Sunday? Standing gig? It was every Sunday, standing gig. And that's, you know, that's something that, that players have to do in Knoxville. Yeah. So they don't have to, but having a church gig subsidizes everybody's living. Yeah. It's yeah. predominantly black church. The church that I played at was solely black. Really? Yeah. I think I was the only white person in, in, really? in the building. So what was the musical style like? Um, pretty, pretty traditional foot stomping black gospel music. Really? Um, Dude, that's, it was, it that was, sounds fun. It was rough around the edges, yeah. but it was heartfelt and playing with the choir every, mm. every Sunday morning. That's what I, I talked about this with Kelsey Walker last week. Like churches are a great place to get a lot of chops, man. And to, and to get, I mean, try taking it, try taking a choir on the road, try, you know, playing, try, you know, putting that together for, you know, a gig at market square. Like that's, you're not going to do that. You're not going to get this, you know, 10 piece band with a 30 person choir. Not anywhere, but church. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think that's pretty cool. It's powerful. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. Um, you know, the place where I was playing was very small, maybe 100, 100 members or something. And I would say the choir made up probably a quarter to a fifth of, of the congregation wow. a lot of the time. That's awesome. And it was, it's a very powerful thing. And it was only a three-piece band. I played with an organ, a drummer, and myself. Mm. So we just had all of this freedom and space to kind of explore and try to make everything sound good. 
Yeah. You know, that's super cool. Did you get, did you get a lot out of it? I did. I did. It was, you know, I, I got a lot of understanding of, of, of what it felt like to, to play music because you're, because you love what you're doing, I guess. I mean, you, don't get me wrong. There's, there's people that are doing that all the time, but there's also performance involved. Mm. And in the church, this particular church, especially, it wasn't a performance. It was, it was just because they love doing it. They love singing. Mm. They love playing. Yeah, they and were, it was very pure in yeah. that way. Yeah, it was. It was a service to the congregation. They were doing sure adding sure. to the vibe. Service to the con- congregation. Service to themselves. Service yeah. to God. Yeah, you know, it was. It was very pure. Did you have any moments when you were there where it was like l- larger than life moments? Yeah, of course. Well, there's one in particular where the the pastor is you know spinning around, stomping around, screaming. You know, which is pretty pretty normal in Black Gospel Church, but I, I look up and and he just has rivers pouring out of his face. He's just just crying, just crying, uncontrollably crying, and that that whole sentiment sort of got passed around because the music was so powerful and strong. Mm. It was the it was just the groove. The groove was so deep. There was not even singing going on at that point. It was just we were we were tapping into something that was bigger than than the people that were there, I felt like. And I think everybody could feel that. So That's something else. Have you ever gotten yeah. anything close to that at a sure at a show? Sure. It's it certainly happens. That was for some reason that one sticks out in my mind as maybe one of the most important. Maybe it was the first one that I felt. Yeah. Um but but I think that's a big reason why I fell in love with playing music is because it sort of helps me transcend um, me personally, yeah. it helps me personally kind of transcend the space that, that I occupy physically and emotionally. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like it's kind of, cause I, I don't know, I, I've always kind of sensed you as somewhat of an introverted kind of spirit. Yeah. Like, is, is that your way of, of being e- expressive with, with low stakes or without, you know, having to be the, the loud mouth in the center of the room? You know what I mean? Like, is, is that a way that you've been able to express, you know, yourself without conversation? Is that why you gravitated towards it? I, th- I think, I think that's probably absolutely why. Yeah. Really? Um, at least initially, I think, I think it, yeah, it's, uh, you know, everybody, everybody needs some, some form of expression in mm. order to feel whole or feel connected to other people to feel connected to the world around you. Hmm. And, and if it's not through dialogue for me, then, you know, why not music? And I think, you know, it's, it's another language. It's a lot of different languages for that matter. Yeah. Um, But it's, but it's a universal language that we can all understand. Agreed. And it's powerful. I mean, it's like, I always think the sense of smell is really powerful too. Like it can take you to a place and music is to me like that 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 same deal. It just it just it takes you to a plane, you know, when done when done a certain way. Yeah, and it, and it can be done many different ways and mm. get you get you to that plane. Yeah, and I think that's what's what's most interesting about the musical language or just music sound how how sound interacts with with our bodies and and our spirits. Yeah, there's there's a little more to it than than just what meets the ear what 
kind of witchcraft is that? There's things spinning on the table. (laughs) I love it. It's the Holy Spirit. It is. Another beer. Sure. Let me grab one. Oh. Hot anyway. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, you got it. So, uh, at the at the church, are you are you have you joined the Black Lilies yet? When you're at the church, still? No, I had not joined the Black Lilies yet. So, ultimately, I started playing too many pub gigs potentially, mm-hmm. and I felt bad because I'd missed too many church services. Oh, really? And, and they were run. counting on you. They didn't. They didn't kick me out of the group. Yeah. But ultimately, I said. I'm sorry, I'm just not being reliable. Y'all should right. find somebody else to do this. Yeah. yeah. Was that hard? Quitting? Yeah. Mm, not so much. I yeah. mean, I loved what I was doing there, but at the same time, I was... It's it's sad, and I feel so shallow saying this, but I was making more money yeah. you know, doing other things. Well, you have to so. be able to make a living. You have to. You I, have I don't to, think you can be... Yeah. I don't think there's, you know... Hard to beat yourself up for that. You know, you're providing for your family. It might be just a family of one, sure. but, you know, you're, you are you have to provide. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't, you know, it wasn't hard quitting. Um, I do think about, you know, some of those people yeah. at that church still. Because there were, I think a, a big reason why that particular situation was so special to me is because they were so accepting. You yeah. Know, they, they brought me in as, you know, as a family. You know, they would feed me after services. They would cook for me. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, I, I always knew it had to be awesome for you to, you know, cut your cut your pub time, you know, hanging out after a show, talking to people, networking, whatever it is, you know, to go home and get up at 7 a.m. to, you know, to, to go play at church in somewhat of a fish out of water environment. Well, <laughs> don't get confused. I didn't always cut my pub time short. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Do you ever have any rough days at the I church? Would, I would often wake up on, you know, two to four hours of sleep. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, that's the thing about being a, a working musician is you got to make hay while the sun shines, as they yeah. say. You know, you got to take the work if it's there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, at some point, though, you uh, you became a pretty in-demand, you know, player at some point. And, I mean, obviously, if, if the Black Lilies, who arguably the biggest band around here at the time, you might be able to argue the Dirty Govs or the Black Cadillacs mm-hmm. were in that kind of world at the same time. But... Um, if they seeked you out, you know, as a player and, and like all this, like you're playing guitar with all these bands that you're talking about, but you play, didn't you play pedal steel with the lilies or were you a multi-instrumentalist? So I, I, the first tour that I did with the lilies, well, the first tour I did with the the black lilies was two days. We, we drove to Tulsa, Oklahoma, Mm. played one gig. And then on the way back to Tennessee, my second gig with them, we played at the Opry house is at the grand old Opry. Oh, that's awesome playing steel and and i'm i'm missing guy marshall before this because i played a lot of shows with guy marshall well let's talk about guy marshall first yeah before we get to the lilies because the guy guy marshall i actually approached adam mcnulty not knowing him at the time and i was just learning to play the pedal steel i'd just gotten one maybe a month before really like i'd really like to play with your group adam really Uh did you know adam i didn't know him but he's a south knox guy right uh seymour severe county yeah not far. Yeah. But, yeah, so I, I approached Adam just to, you know, because I liked his music, but yeah. I also, you know, wanted wanted a group to try to cut my teeth and try to figure out how to play this instrument. And uh, 
Adam Adam was nice enough to let me do that with him. He's such a great dude, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that guy's spirit, his me energy. And I love their music, too. Me, too. Uh, last year, the Spotify did the, um, you know, your year in, you know, 2020, your year in review of what you listen to the most. And uh, my, my number one was uh, was uh, Run the Jewels 4, RTJ4, that came out last nice. year. And then number two was uh, The Love We Made Together and Otherwise, cool. uh, which was Guy Marshall. And uh, I, I must have spun the shit out of that record for it to, to be number two of my most listened. I listen to Spotify a lot. And then number three was like, you know, Baby Shark or something for my kids or something <laughs> like that. But the fact that Guy Marshall was ahead of that was a pretty big deal. Yeah. yeah I, it's a really, really great band. Write a lot of cool music. Adam's, Adam's a very creative spirit. Yeah, and, and, and respect for him. He's one of those guys too who you know, somewhat self-deprecating about his music. He's like, you know, he's like I'm I don't even know how to play the guitar. Like I'm I'm, te- I, I'm I'm terrible at this thing. I just, you know, it's a way that I just get my music out there. I'm like, dude, you're good. You're you're good at the guitar. You're a really good singer, really good songwriter too. The the songwriting is the most important part for him. You think I, so? Yeah, I his, mean, I, their songs are just on point. He's a really great songwriter. He has, he has, he has a he has a way with words, and and I and I would agree with him there that the guitar is just a you know it's just a conduit for yeah. his songs. Yeah, he's a he's a really good guitar player. Yeah, but, but that's not so much what he cares about. It's just a way to get his songs out. Right. He he's one of those guys too that you when you see him sing and you see him get it out there, it's it's outside of their body. It's like he's he's at the very ends, uh, the end of his physical bounds, sure. creating this stuff. And it, I, I, I love that. I love that so much. When people push it, don't do anything safe. They, they, they get it right to the brim, right to the edge. Yeah. And then, you know, Serena is just the voice of an angel. <laughs> you know, she is the voice of mostly good reason and, <laughs> and an angel. <laughs> so, so when did the, I, I guess the last time I, I think you had moved to Nashville maybe at, at the time. I, I, I'm, I'm getting the timeline all messed up. But at, at my old Park Ridge house across the street from me in Park Ridge, it's probably, I don't know, five or six years ago, maybe longer. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Travis Bigwood had moved into the house across the street from me. And um, I just saw you hanging out in the front yard one day. I was like, Kenny, what are you doing? <laughs> he came over. I think we hung out in a you know, torrential downpour, much like this one that's going on right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think you were, I think you were rehearsing with Guy Marshall at the time. You know, I was, we talked about this a little bit before and, and I think I was actually playing with Sweet Years at the time. We were you a, really? We, that was my first rehearsal with Sweet Years. I've only played maybe a half a dozen shows with those guys that's, or something. Well, that's a Dakota. Dakota from the Sweet Life. From the Sweet Life. Yeah. Formerly the Sweet Life yeah. turned into the Sweet Years. Because it um, sounded too much like a Nickelodeon show, I suppose. So. I think that's what it was. Well, okay, that, so well, you were over there. About that. I guess you had mentioned that you had started, but but Guy Marshall was around the same time for you, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, yeah. it was kind of all, all mixed together. But I was living in in Nashville at that point. Whenever I yeah. saw you, why did you move to Nashville? Bridge? Music. It's a it's a good question, Benny. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm just in this perpetual state of existential crisis. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Like yeah, I guess. Were you, you know, chasing something or uh, just chasing happiness? I yeah, don't know. 
um, I wasn't, I didn't have any, any particular reason to be there. I had a, a living situation and I had just gotten back. Yeah. The, this timeline is getting all convoluted, but that's okay. I had just gotten back from my last tour with the black lilies, which was in Europe. Mm. And, and after I knew that was going to be my last tour with them. And I stayed in Europe for close to two more months on, on my own, just traveling solo with a mm-hmm. backpack, much like I'm doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, right now <laughs> and and I'd just gotten back and <clears throat> trying to decide what it, what it was I was going to do with my life and I had an opportunity a living situation open up in Nashville it's like gotcha. okay I'll shove off that direction for a little while gotcha so this was mm-hmm. after the lilies yeah. all right so so the, how long were you with the, playing with the lilies a couple of years I was with them for almost two years yeah almost two years exactly were you there when the uh, trailer got stolen I was that was yeah. in Houston in Houston, yeah, there was it was the last it was the last date of maybe close to a six week tour all over the West, like you know, twelve, sixteen hour drives every day, yeah. I feel like. And it was just a grueling tour in the middle of winter. We spent a lot of days in Colorado. Remember we played in Leadville on the way back and it was like below twelve degrees twelve degrees below zero or wow. something like that. So that's tough on a on a uh, instrument. Tough on a good thing they got stolen. Nobody will ever know. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But that was one of our last dates before we got to Texas. So Houston was our last date of that tour, and we we pulled up to a hotel and parked parked right in front, you know, to make sure cameras were on it. There's not many people in this hotel, and had about four hours of sleep. We had you know Houston's something like twelve or fourteen hour drive away from here. Yeah. And everybody wanted to get home. It's time to get home. So skipped a few of the uh, locking up processes on the trailer? No. No? No. So this was all, all that. Well, there's there's more details to it than this. Since this, there's been a whole ring of thieves that have been arrested. So they've they've actually brought some of these people to justice. But Cruz got a guitar back. Did he? He told the story on the podcast. Cool. Got, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'll Ruby have to go. Back. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, so there was, after the trailer got stolen, I don't mean to hijack your story. No. But after the trailer got stolen, I think Cruz said that there was some kind of, like, somehow through an intermediary made contact with the people who stole it, and they said for X amount of dollars, you can get it back. Yeah, there's there's sort of ransom money. Yeah. Involved. Reward money. Reward money. Yeah. Gotcha. And some somebody responded anonymously to like a Craigslist ad or a Facebook post or something. It might've been on the website. I'm not exactly sure, gotcha. sure where they were, where they were putting it out, but maybe Facebook and somebody responded and ended up sending a lot of things back. I got my, my pedal steel back. Really? Yeah. Um, I got my pedal steel back, my amp and my, some of my pedals were gone. They sent a pedal board back. That was like half full. Um, yeah, it was a very interesting situation. Yeah, right. that is interesting. So they took something like I don't know, I don't know the dollar amount, but they took uh, X amount of dollars to to freight some of the stuff back. They didn't send it all back though. Yeah, that that's kind of what I remember the story too. Is like it was good, but it was a little bit of a letdown because not all of the stuff made it home. Yeah, I mean, Cruz's Cruz's mandolin did not make it. I didn't. Mm. I don't believe, and I didn't know that his guitar had made it back. I think that's right. I could be misremembering, but well, I'll, I'll have to go back and listen, think yeah. about it. Um, 
Was that the same tour where I ran into you at High Sierra? No. That was a different tour? I think that, because that was over the summer, okay. whenever, whenever that was. Was that at the beginning of your time, your stint with the Lilies? I believe so. I think that was the first summer that I was out with them. Okay. What year was that? 2015? Oh, 16? Benny. It was 15. I can tell you why I know that. Because my wife was pregnant. Yeah. When we were out there with That's our right. first kid and she was born in 16. So it was, would have been the summer of 15. And, uh, man, I was so pumped. I knew that the Lilies were going to be at that music festival. Um, but I couldn't wait to text you once we landed and, yeah. got, and got there. And we got to hang out a good bit that weekend. We did. Yeah. You and uh, and Spar was there. Yeah. Nick yeah. Spar was in the there's, house. There's a little Knox- Knoxville contingent there, actually. Yeah, there were a little bit. Uh-huh. And so uh, I think uh, Katie Cawthon was there, program director at WDVX. Okay. Yeah, she was in the house. Well, uh, Daniel Dunlap, the uh, Ganesita bass player, was also there. Really? From, from Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. Cruz was talking about it. And, you know, he's 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 not as much of a jam band aficionado as you and I are. He was like, I have never seen baby hippies before in my entire life. <laughs> it's like, I saw a kid in a diaper with dreadlocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, California festivals have a special uh, have a special nuance to them. Yeah. Northern California, especially. Especially Northern California. Yeah. It is a crunchy scene. Yeah. Yeah. Very crunchy. Yeah. I did see some sweet Volkswagen buses that had Subaru conversions in them too. It's like the Volkswagen bus mecca out there. I, I don't know if I can say this on your podcast, but right. at the end of the first night, I, me and one of the band members got in, invited to a nitrous orgy. Oh, and What's, we, is that exactly what it sounds like? I, we've we've always speculated, but never never known. <laughs> oh, you it, you didn't go. We didn't go. Oh man, we didn't go. I don't know whether to say good good thinking or you I, know. <laughs> They say you regret the things you don't do. You know, there's been there's been time in between then and now. So I was stumbling that direction. I was like, I have to see what's going yeah. on here. And 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 the voice of good reason with me grabbed me by the arm. It's like we we're gonna go back. We're not gonna go see that. It would have been fun to watch. I, I'm just curious. I'm, yeah. I'm I'll be eternally curious what that looks like. Exactly. So yeah. So that was a different tour. That was uh, that was the the summer of. It was the summer of 15, and then you were with the, the band for two more years. Did the, li- did the lineup stay the same um, while you were there? Is it tr- is Trish, Trisha? Trisha Jean. Trisha Jean Brady mm-hmm. and Cruz. Um, so so the lineup stayed the same for the most part, I guess. Trisha, Trisha ended up leaving the group maybe three to six months before I did, mm. something like that. Yeah. Now Cruz is out doing solo stuff. But the Black Lily still has a really big following um, that's out there, it seems like, to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, Cruz, Cruz really really hit the road hard for a long time and did a, did a good job of developing these grassroots followings throughout, throughout yeah, the state. Yeah, it seems very grassroots mm-hmm. um, because you get whenever during the pandemic he was doing solo live stuff, you would see the communities that he'd built all over the country. Absolutely. You know, Montana the Northeast everywhere, you know, just had like almost a, a you know, rabid kind of following people who love their, love the Lily stuff yeah, and kind of latched onto his solo stuff as he was kind of the de facto front man for the group. Um, I've never been so, I think I told Cruz this, but I've never been so proud of East Tennessee as when I was standing next to baby hippies with dreadlocks, watching you guys up there, mm-hmm. you know, play the music of East Tennessee 
and being like, this is very different than the rest of the music at this music festival, but people are getting down and people are loving it. And it was like, I felt proud of my heritage at that moment, being in a different place, listening to the music that I take for granted because it's made so much around here. But to see that it is a little bit of a different thing uh, that, you know, the, the, the jam band hippie crowd at High Sierra in Northern California isn't, isn't privy to. They don't hear that stuff. It's, uh, it's a relic to them. Well, just to take it back to what we were talking about earlier, I mean, it's all, it's all sound and it's all related. And, and I think, you know, to take that a step further, I think what the Black Lilies did was maybe more in the, in the jam realm than Cruz might want to give it credit for. Really? I mean, we did a lot of jamming. Yeah. You know? I mean, it, it was certainly revolved around songs, but mm-hmm. there was a lot of maybe more in the jazz or bluegrass vein and when there's solo sections, but there's also like these kind of open improvisation sections. Really? Yeah. Sam Quinn? Sam Quinn. Bass player? Is that right? Yeah, Sam Quinn, the, you know, the incredible songwriter, but he was the bass player. Did he write point. some Lily songs? I, no? After I left, I believe he did have a okay. have a hand in writing some Lily Does he, songs. And he sings too? Incredible voice. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And he's, on, he's solo now, right? Sam is doing solo stuff, I hope. I know, I mean, the guy can't help but write. Mm. I'm, I'm grateful to call Sam a good friend and... He's he will never stop writing. Mm. I hope that he I hope that he's recording some of the stuff or Good. hoping to play it at yeah. some point. Um, Sam Quinn of the Everybody Fields, who was, <clears throat> you know, sort of one of the the leaders of the, of the Americana scene in, yeah. in East Tennessee. Is he a Knoxville guy? He's from, but he doesn't live here. The the Hiawassa, the Hiawassee River. Ooh, down. Like Cleveland and all that? East of Cleveland. The Hawaii, yeah, probably like Reliance or something like that. There's some really sweet property land down there. It's beautiful down there. It's so beautiful. So Sam's from there, but then he kind of cut his teeth up in uh, Johnson City Mm. to ETSU. I feel like the Tri-Cities has a pretty good Americana music scene, does it? I think so. And I think, you know, I think Sam and and that group, Josh Oliver, who's with Mandolin Orange now, Mm. And, and writes his own music. I think, I think those, that that crew, that contingent, kind of had a lot to do with you know pushing Americana forward really? in, in that part of in that part of the state. Well, I mean, there's there's roots of music you know going back all the way to you know the Bristol recording sessions and much mm-hmm. further than that. You know, we're talking there's there's folk roots in that part of in that part of the country, in that part of the state that go much deeper than that. But in terms of popularizing. Americana music, I think that everybody feels played really? a huge role. Were they yeah. were they playing out of the Tri Cities or were they? I mean, they were they were playing with the. So I might get some of my history wrong, but you know they kind of came up with the Ava Brothers. They were they were doing really? a lot of tours with the Ava Brothers early okay. on, and ended up just not. They had a couple they had a couple good hits, uh, a, a couple things that kind of took off, but. Yeah, I don't need to get into the whole group dynamic of that right. thing, but it but it just didn't work out. Gotcha. So, so I mean, they had a, they had a very very steep trajectory at one point. Yeah, then, I remember when they were yeah. on fire. Yeah, they're one of those that you're like, what happened to them? What happened right. to those guys? Right. Yeah. Um, where are so, they now? I'd like to know. <laughs> yeah. What happened after the lilies? Where'd you go? What'd you start doing? So that's when I moved to Nashville. Oh, gotcha. So now we're back into the timeline. Yeah. yeah you, you moved to Nashville because you had Time's a bed. Time's nonlinear, Benny. Yeah. All right. 
<laughs> Stoned Ape Theory. Stoned Ape Theory. <laughs> uh, so Nashville, and then you were coming back to play with Sweet Years and Guy Marshall and all that? Yeah, so I was, you know, I was not, when I first moved to Nashville, I was not getting a whole lot of work, it, you know, for months and months. I, I was actually driving Uber on on occasion. Can you make decent money doing that or no? I think if you really tried, you could. If you I made was, it a full-time job, you could. Yeah, yeah, but I had no interest in doing that. I right. was just... You were you were doing it to just survive, just just to kind of survive. You know, I had I had built up some savings from, you know, being on the road and not spending, spending a lot of money for for several years. Yeah, and so that kind of got me through. But yeah, I was kind of flying back and forth from Nashville to Knoxville to play gigs at that point. Occasionally playing in Nashville, but just trying to drum up anything, and that lasted for. Until December of seventeen, I guess I moved. I moved there in April of seventeen. So, so you were there seven or eight months. About eight months. Yeah, just kind of and just really practicing a whole lot of pedal steel. Awesome. Um, so there are a lot of pedal steel time. players in Nashville. There have to be. Well, I think more than per capita. There's per a lot. capita. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty. Um, it's fr- an important fr- instrument for country meet recording. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's. There's a lot of players there, and I would say recently, within the last five years, there's a lot of you know younger players there. People, and I consider young pedal steel players anybody below the age of sixty. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, Was so, Robert Randolph what got you into pedal steel? No, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, I, I love Robert Randolph's playing, but it's not directly what got me into pedal steel. Yeah, I was actually. Um, dating this girl very briefly who had a pedal steel and she loaned it to me mm. and and I and I kind of took a liking to it I didn't even really know what it was I wasn't listening to country music this is while I was in jazz school and I'd never really listened to country music so I started listening to country music for about a month the relationship thing disbanded and she promptly took her steel back mm. and I kind of I didn't feel so good about that because I, I liked it yeah so, I ended up sort of spite buying a pedal steel on eBay. A uh, grudge buy. It was a grudge buy. <laughs> That's why I played the pedal steel is because I <laughs> grudge bought a pedal steel. Again, and, like I remember watching you learn how to play that thing, yeah. you know? But how long How long was the gap in between when you started playing it and when you were touring as a musician playing it? Oh. Not I'm, to say that there was, you know, that you could master it in that short period of no, time. Or, I was, you know. I don't, I don't know if anybody ever masters that thing, right. but it's, it was probably, let's see, that was, it was probably close to two years, about yeah. a year and a half. Yeah. yeah. Definitely had to help that you knew all these other disciplines and instruments. It, it does. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some translation. There's, there's a lot of roadblocks too. finger picks being one of them. I'd never mm. used finger picks, never played banjo. Right. Or dobro or anything like that. So finger picks was a huge. <clears throat> so you had to learn a new right hand discipline learn new right hand discipline completely yeah um in addition to you know all of the other bizarre little intricacies of pedal steel i mean you're you're using all four limbs plus both knees so you have like all of these what do you mean your knees just do your knees hit something yeah so pedal steel there's actually levers on on either side of both of your knees that change pitches of different strings so if you if you push your right knee out there, there will be different strings that will, in, in my particular setup, the ninth and the second string lower. And yeah, so there's... Does it like loosen the bridge? Is it, it's like a Stratocaster. 
Is it? Mm, it's not so much like a tremolo. Oh, a tremolo, not, yeah. Not so much like that. Um, some some really brilliant people came up with this this changer system that I that I won't go into describing the mechanics of because I'll butcher right. it. But but there's this little box in the back that kind of takes care of all the mechanical stuff. So it's, interesting. Yeah, I mean it's it's a machine. You know. Yeah, I didn't know your knees were involved. I you know yeah. I, I knew that there were obviously pedals mm-hmm. and that you're using both hands. Um, I didn't know that there was another thing to it. You can't see that part yeah. from the crowd unless you're really looking, I guess. Yeah, you got to be looking straight at the crotch. Yeah, <laughs> which is where I'm always looking at uh, your shows don't anyway. Lie, man. <laughs> I knew you played with the knees. Okay, <laughs> I knew it. That's, I think that's <clears throat> I think that's pretty fascinating, though, that you can, you know, go from picking up an instrument to being fairly proficient at it in a short period of time. And I remember talking to you when you were learning the pedal steel and I knew that you had already gained a lot of proficiency in other instruments. And I remember right when you were learning, you were like, man, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's one of the hardest instruments, if not the hardest I've ever played. Yeah. There's, there's a lot going on. Um, and it doesn't really, I mean, everything, everything is challenging in its own way, yeah. but it doesn't, it doesn't translate to much of anything just because mm. there's, it's so unique in that you have to use your your feet and your knees mm-hmm. and in both hands you have a bar you don't have frets obviously so you're using you're manipulating this bar in order to keep different chords in tune because it's a machine and it's not perfect and it's and every chord that you play on this instrument is not going to be in tune if you line the bar straight up so yeah there's a wow there's a pretty pretty heavy learning curve to that right. to that instrument I feel like Robert Randolph really brought it to the um, forefront of the of the jam scene for sure, and and others. I mean, I think you know the um, I think North Mississippi All Stars had some had some uh, pedal steel in there, um, so Delta Delta Blues kind of stuff. I mean, Jerry Garcia played pedal steel. Did he really? Mm-hmm. Didn't played on uh, like Dire Wolf. He played on some of those old songs on Working Man's Dead. Really. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was him. Mm-hmm. Dire Wolf is a great example of a good uh, pedal, a good pedal steel song. It's a great pedal steel song. Yeah, yeah. How similar is it to the Dobro? I would say not, not very similar. Not at all. I would say, yeah. People, people try to compare them, but I, I, I don't think they're very comparable in any way. Well, I remember like Billy Nershi from the String Cheese Incident, who fabulous fat flat picker in his own right. Great bluegrass flat picker. Great bluegrass player. Yeah, wonderful. Um, for a time he tried to pick up the Dobro and for a couple of years he would, he would play it. And it was like, it was good, but you could tell that even somebody who was, you know, a phenomenal bluegrass picker, you know, still hadn't mastered or, or even was proficient on, on this instrument that looks like the same, you know, the same box, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's got six strings. Why can't yeah. you play it, Billy? And then Come you on. see like Andy Hall from, um, what is it? Steep? It's not Steep Canyon Rangers. Um, it's the other one. I forget. It might be Steep Canyon. I forget. But he. Uh, it's just like you watch somebody who can really wear this thing out. You're like, man. What group is Andy Hall with? Do you know? I, um, if you said it, yeah. It's not. It's not Steep Canyon Rangers. That's who. Um, that's who uh, Steve Steve Martin plays with, right? Yeah. Yeah. Either way, I mean, yeah. It's not the same instrument at all. Yeah. It, there's there's not a whole lot of translation. And the Dobro is, is all open tuning, um, which doesn't make it any easier in any way. But I mean, uh, the similarities would be that you play it with picks and you play a slide, mm. right? 
and yeah. it's a stringed instrument. So I mean, yeah. it's it's related, yeah. but it's not. It's not cross disciplinary. You can't yeah. just like pick it's up. Like, a, pick it's like up. a third cousin or something. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> so when uh, what do you do? What are you doing now? Where are you, where are you going? What are you? Uh, well, what have you been doing? <laughs> I'm going to talk more. Is this a therapy session? Yeah, um, dude. This is, this is, yeah, talk this more is, about my existential crisis. <laughs> is it still going on? Ongoing. Are you still chasing happiness? Yes. Really? Yes. You seem so I'm happy ch- to chasing, me all the time. Chasing something. Yeah. I like your nose ring, by the way. Thanks, Ben. That is a good touch, dude. Thank you. That's solid. You were handsome before, but you plussed it. Jesus. Charming. <laughs> Uh, that way, you know, I, when people call me charming, I'm like, man, that sucks. Like, I don't want to be charming. I want to be like uh, sincere. You know what I mean? You can be both. Can you? Yeah. Okay. I always feel like charming is like a uh, like you're trying to pull one over on somebody. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's necessarily negative connotations with that. Okay. Yeah. You're both. You're sincere. Okay. I try to be sincere. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for the compliment. That was sincere. <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah. yeah. So. L.A. now, music still a thing? L.A., well, music was not a thing whenever I was living there. Really? I moved out to L.A. in the middle of, you know, the the COVID, the whole COVID situation in really? August. Man, that's one of the worst places to move during COVID, I would say. That's what that's what people from Tennessee say, but I actually, I, I found the opposite because there's so much beautiful outdoor space to enjoy. Yeah, that's usually crowded as hell. And, and it was somewhat crowded, but not normal, not as much as it normally would be. Yeah, you know. So, did you get bummed out with any of the the political stuff of stuff getting shut down and like, like did did people did you get bogged down in any of that, or was it were you able to avoid that? I can't say I got bogged down in it. No, mm. um, you know, just kind of I just kind of accepted it for for what it was. Mm. Um, Still legally a resident of the state of Tennessee, so I don't have a you know I don't have a right to vote in that state. So gotcha. Who am I to argue with? Yeah. Know, what the people of that state are voting for? I actually still have a California driver's license, I think, because this is a weird story, but I uh, I had an unpaid like seatbelt ticket on my California driver's license when I'm when I moved back to Tennessee. You are a bad boy. I'm 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 just I'm on the edge, man. I'm living life on the edge. I uh, when I got back to Tennessee, I had a California driver's license, and I went to the DMV, and I um, I, I said uh, I said, well, I you know I, I'd like to exchange this California driver's license for a Tennessee driver's license, and she was like, wait, you have a California driver's license? I said, yeah, and she goes, well, you've got to get all this paperwork from the state of California for me to give you your. Tennessee driver's license back. It needs to show that it's a clean driver's license. You have you to go know. back out there. You got to go back out there, pay your ticket in person at the California Supreme Court or, or uh, Superior Court, they call it, I guess. And then you got to, and then you got to come, you got to come back and and then, you know, give, give me the paperwork. And I was like, I was like, so I said it back to her. I was like, so you're telling me, here's what I need to do. She was like, well, you know, if you just had a Tennessee license, um, then, you know, and wanted to get it renewed, that's one thing. But since it's showing that you have a California license, you know, you've got to get, get me all this paperwork. And I was like, it's not showing anything. Like you just know that I have a California license because I told you. And so I, I, I was like, all right, thanks. Have a good day. And I went and sat down at the DMV and I waited for that lady to go on her lunch break. <laughs> and then I got back up yeah. and I went to the counter and I was like, I'd like to renew my Tennessee driver's license, please. They were like, that'll be $12 and 50 cents, yeah. Mr. Fields. Yeah. Here, line up, take your picture. Big smile. Brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. So I still have a California driver's license out there with like, 
I don't know. I'm sure with interest now, it's probably a six figure fine. I don't remember you having a car. Uh, I did for a short while, but, okay. but, but you're right. I, right when I moved out there, I didn't have a car and I rem- you are such a sweetheart, man. You drove down from, from Paso Robles, picked me up in Los Angeles and drove me back to Ventura and dro- we drove up to Ventura together to see a concert yeah. at the Ventura music hall. Dude, you drove like two hours, <laughs> you know, you're an hour and a half past your destination to pick me up and take me back for a one night show. And then we went back and spent the night at my house in LA. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I thought about that when I talked to you the other night, I was like, man, what? that's a great friend. That's going to brave LA traffic on a, you know, I didn't know any better, Ben. I was, tw- I was 19 or 20 years old. I just wanted some friends. I just wanted to, I just wanted to hang out with somebody. <laughs> That's the kind of guy you are, though. You're just like a selfless dude who, you know, wants good fellowship and a good time. That's right. Friends and fellowship. Friends and fellowship. Learned it at the church. Yeah. Yeah. We. Do you remember who we went and saw? Sound Tribe Sector 9? Yeah. That was my first Sound Tribe Sector 9 show. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. You I know, think, uh, I think there was about 40 people there, maybe. It was small. Yeah. It was really small. And it was a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember, um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's of course like concreted in my mind that you were the first person who, um, who afforded me the opportunity to see SDS nine, which is a great band. Love them. Still go see them today. If they're around, um, little John Eisenberg in Boulder, right? Um, he, <laughs> he, uh, took me to my first fish concert. Hard, hard sellout in Asheville at the, uh, it was the first year fish came back 2009. Um, do you remember that when they, when they came back from the Coventry Coventry was the last, you know, show in 0405, whenever that was. I do. The only show that they played in Knoxville. They did play in Knoxville. The only fish show that I've ever seen actually. Was really? Yeah. So they played in Asheville, Knoxville, and then they played two nights at Bonnaroo after that. I saw all four of those shows, but I was living in Greenville, South Carolina at the time. And I came up to Asheville to see fish, even though it was a hard sellout. I didn't have a ticket. I thought I had a ticket. That's another long story. I'm still, I'm still sore about the guy who told me he had a ticket for me. So I get there. I don't have it up. (laughs) I know I I, I get there and little John's in town from, from Colorado. And uh, he we're hanging out. It's me and him and, and, and my buddy, close friend, Blake Dockery. And we're hanging out and, um, Lil John is like, dude, you have to. This is your first fish concert. You've never seen him before. Like, you this this needs this needs to happen. You it has to happen. And I was like, man, I cannot find a ticket. If I had a thousand dollars, I could not find a ticket right now. And I'm a film school student. I don't have anything. <laughs> and he was like, all right, I'll be right back. And Lil John goes and he buys me. Somehow he finds a ticket, pays $175 for it, brings him, brings it back, gives it to me. Won't let me pay him for it. And he's like, man, I I want you to have a great time. I want I want you to remember your first show forever. Aw. <laughs> How was the show? Fantastic. Do you remember it? Yeah. Okay. I do. Uh, you know, you know, I've been listening at, at the time I've been listening to Fish for 15 or 16 years um since the late 90s. Very familiar with their old catalog, have my favorite songs, love their stuff and then show up, walk in. And then they open with a song that I've never heard before in my entire life. And I was like, where am I? 
And why is this such a letdown? It, well, I didn't think it was a letdown, but I thought, you know, I was like, they're going to play my, you know, my favorite fish song or whatever. And Don't they know I'm here? The, yeah. Did they not know I'm here? And I will say that that's as close to the band as I've ever been to because it was such a small place. Where was it? The Civic Center in Nashville. Oh, yeah. That's like a 9,000 person venue. Yeah. And it was in the round too. I mean, it wasn't in the round, but they were, they were in the horseshoe. They were in the, at the end. Um, and they, there were seating all behind and everywhere. You could sit anywhere. You sit cool. behind the band. Yeah. And, and it was great. So I always, I always remember my, my, my first ones and, and mine with you and you taking me to my first sound tribe show. And, was your and first. yeah, you're my, you were, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, think about it every time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's coming up? Anything? Anything fun? You know, she's gonna put the backpack down somewhere, and ideally, I'm gonna put the backpack down somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah for now. If not, if I decide to not put the backpack down, I might just pick the backpack up for another little while. There you go, and uh, go go traveling for for another couple months, and try to try to come back to LA with try to come back to LA with a bit of a more fresh perspective. Yeah, than I've had. What's What's the city like right now? What's LA like right now? Well, like I said, you've seen it before. Well, I haven't been there in four. Uh, I haven't been there in four months, so I'm not sure what it feels like today. Yeah, today, right. or you know, for that matter, like post things opening up. Yeah, I left March first, and in leaving March first, they had just opened up outside dining, and it was. I don't know. It's still pretty pretty empty city. It's really easy to drive around in. It was. How great is that? It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, priceless, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's fr- from my experience being down there with you and being down there in my early 20s, it's hard to relate to. I mean, I've certainly passed through LA a number of times um, traveling and touring, but that's only for small little, small little snippets, right? Yeah. So, this is my only experience actually living in that city. And really all that I've known is just kind of a shut down ghost town. Really? Mm-hmm. So you you don't have a frame of reference before? Really? Well, only small, you know, obviously, like we talked not about. Not as a our, resident. Not as a resident, right. Yeah. I'll come down and visit for, for some days at a time, maybe spend four or five days in a yeah. row there. But I liked it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, the, the city is vibrant. Obviously, I mean it's full full of creatives in in all facets. But I I like to be able to explore to explore the side of it that was just the natural beauty, and that's really what I honestly what I came to love about that part of the country. You can you can be on top of a you know a six or seven eight thousand foot mountain and then drive down and get in the water and go surfing all yeah. the same day, and there's not many places in the world that you can do that. Have you been to Runyon Canyon? Yeah, sure. It's pretty pretty sweet. Pretty sweet up there. Yeah, yeah. I went up there uh, with a buddy with with my buddy Josh, and uh, we went. I, I'd never gone there when I lived there, but I was out there visiting him, and we went up, and he was like, "Yeah, it's this big, you know, canyon. It's this mountain. You can there's trails. You can hike up." So I show up in my, you know, Grateful Dead shirt and my chacos to to walk up Runyon Canyon, and then like, I just look around. And it's everybody in their workout gear with their dogs, you know out there just made a Starbucks run and now they're, yeah. you know, now they're exercising sure. on, the, on the canyon. Yeah, I'm like, LA uniform. Ex- it is. I'm like, yeah. man, I'm, I'm the wrong vibe for this. <laughs> this was, this was not a hike. This was, this was exercise. Yeah. 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 It's great. Prescribed. Yeah. Yeah. What else we got? So, I mean, 
I'm looking to get back into the music world. So, you know, we've we've kind of bypassed some of some of the the timeline, but it was roughly two years ago. I kind of intentionally took a step out of out of the music world, a bit burnout, a bit really? tired of traveling. Yeah. Um, which in turn made me a little bit jaded for for just enjoy the enjoyment of music. You know, there was there was a period of probably two years where I would get home from playing from playing on the road and I would put my cases in the corner, not not even think about playing really until I got back on the road. Really? And I started to notice that, you know, that pattern. It wasn't fun anymore. It was not fun anymore. It was a job. But wait, that's what you wanted, right? Existential crisis. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I was shooting for. And then, you know, I got to that point. I'm like, is this is this is what I was shooting for the whole time to like not enjoy what I was doing. I mean, right. certainly, certainly, I would enjoy some of the moments on stage. You know, some of the moments actually playing music, but there's so much more that goes into it. You know, there's so so much more time in the day than just that. Yeah, you know, hour and a half block. Of, yeah, of playing music. I almost so. think of it as like that's you're giving that away for free. Sure, it's the rest of it that that you're paying for with a ticket. Yeah, so I played I played um, in this group, the Warren Treaty, with Nolan Nevels for I don't know six or nine months, and he's like, I, I we play these shows for free. We get we get paid to do all this other bullshit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was that in town? Uh, with in the Warren Treaty, yeah. Uh, the Warren Treaty is a traveling group or okay. touring touring group, and I actually got connected with them in Nashville. Okay, yeah. But it's the drummer from baseball, right? Drummer from baseball. Yeah. yeah. So they were looking for a drummer, and they asked me for a recommendation, and I recommended him, and he ended up pulling you gra- in, grabbing the gig. So he came in. What'd you play? I played mostly electric guitar, but I played like one song on pedal steel a lot of yeah. the time, maybe two. People go crazy for it. Yeah. Or was it just another cut? Just it was another just, song? Just another thing. Wasn't I mean, like when Kang picks up the fiddle? Not really. People just go ape shit. It was, it was interesting because that, that group was, was way more along the lines of like a high energy rock. Gotcha. Soul group. Yeah. So when you sit down to play the pedal steel, I mean, there were certain songs that hit really nicely, Yeah, but. Um, it was, it was, a, it was a strange fit at times too. Yeah. Like what, why, what is he doing? Why is he sitting down? Where's that sound coming from? Was that a couple years ago? That was, so I, I, I was quit playing with them about two years ago. Okay. About two and a half years ago now. And before that, I guess I was with them about a year. Pretty, pretty heavy on the road with them. Okay. Yeah. Did, is that when you hung it up after that? After that is when I hung it up. Yeah. Yeah. Said this is a job. And it's it's not as much fun as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, or is that it, overstating it? No, no. I mean, that's not overstating it at all. It was, and it wasn't just just the action of of having the job. It was that I quit enjoying playing music yeah. at that time. Yeah, um, I, you know, a lot of people go through that with the film world too, filmmaking, because you know people are film nerds. They're you know sitting on the couch watching a bunch of movies and saying, "I want to do that," you know, and and. Tarantino is a famous like film nerd, right? But there's film nerds everywhere that get into filmmaking and then they get into it and they realize how much other bullshit there is to it Mm -hmm. and how much harder it is and how once you do inject timelines, scrutiny, all that kind of stuff into it, it kind of loses 
bottom lines. Yeah, <laughs> it loses its magic. And so it, it feels like the people, I forget who I talked to this about recently, but you have to love the craft. You have to love the the process. Like that's the part that you have to be in love with to really to really make it and, and make it go. But even at that point, like in relating this to the film world, like it still can very much feel like a, feel like you're just pushing the rock up the hill, mm -hmm. you know, at, in, in some, in some instances. And so it can lose its fun. And, and that's probably why, that's probably why Tarantino has only made, you know, nine films in the last 25 years or whatever, or longer, 30 years. Well, I mean, his films are so long; it might take it might take him two years to to film. Probably one. does, but think about like what? Who else do you know that's only made nine of something that's so prolific? <laughs> that's only done something nine times, and they have such a cultural impact. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, I, it, what comes to mind most contemporarily is Sturgill Simpson. You know, <sighs> he doesn't have nine records even. <sighs> you know, he's only making one record, maybe. Every yeah. two years, yeah, kind of, kind of a similar time span. Yeah, so. I, I, I've asked people this before, and I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Sturgill's disc discography quite a bit. But you know, High Top Mountain was his first like solo record, right? Mm -hmm. And then Metamodern was after that, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Sailor's Guide, which was very much a departure, because his first album, High Top Mountain, was bluegrassy. His Metamodern it's was pretty, pretty heavy country. Yeah. Yes. It was more bluegrassy than any of the other ones that preceded it until the most recent sure. cut and grass stuff. But so he kind of, you know, bluegrass country for the first record, heavy, like alt new psychedelic country for the second record. Psych country. Psych country. Yeah. Third record, uh, Sailor's Guide to Earth was like Otis Redding, you know, Nirvana covers on there. Uh, and then just out of left field comes Sound and Fury mm -hmm. with the anime film that accompanies it. And I don't know if you went to any of those, you know, Tyler Childers started to come up at that point and be become kind of what Sturgill was five or six years earlier when Metamodern came out and kind of became this like psych country, kind of the, the big name in it. And I don't know if you went to any of those shows, the good looking tour that they did together. Uh, that got shut down by COVID. It was tons of dates. It was like 60 dates that they were going to do or more, maybe more than that. Uh, but they were co-headlining it, I, I guess. But really, Tyler Childers opened for Sturgill every mm -hmm. night. And Tyler was doing his favorites and, and and other songs in his psych country way. And then Sturgill was coming out the gate with this brand new album, Sound and Fury, that sounded way different than anything that had anything to do with country. And he started the, the his show with by playing that album all the way through. Mm -hmm. And half the people, both of the shows I went to, I went to Asheville and I went to Knoxville. Both the shows I went to, half the people in the crowd had left by the time he was done playing Sound and Fury. Like they had come to see Tyler Childers and that kind of music at that point, right? The people that stayed for Sturgill, I remember he said after he got done with Sound and, Sound and Fury, he stepped up to the mic and addressed the crowd for the first time. He said. Well, I guess the Yeti crowd left. <laughs> it's like, oh, damn, dude. I was at, I was at that show. Which one was that, Knoxville? Knoxville? Yeah. And just a little tagline to what you're talking about. Unfortunately, that was the last text that we sent or the last thing that I have on my phone that we sent to each other because I saw you walking on the floor 
in that show. Really? Uh-huh. That was a, really? Yeah, I swear. Man, yeah. that's full circle. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you circle. think that these two bluegrass volumes that Sturgill just came out with, Cutting the Grass Volume 1 and Volume 2, which are bluegrass covers of his songs, um, do you think that he intentionally did that to try to get back some of the crowd that he seemingly alienated by making something that was so off base with what his fan base expected? I don't think so. No, you think he made it because he wanted to? I think, I mean, I think he's put himself in a position to do whatever he wants to. Yeah. You know, and and from what I understand about Sturgill and, and his background, you know, bluegrass music is, is a huge part of his, right. his world. Right. And, and no, so you don't, don't think it was a PR move? I mean, who am I to say? Right. Maybe it was a backroom decision. Who yeah. knows? That happens all the time. Maybe he was pressured to do it, but <clears throat> from from what I do know, I, I he's steeped in that music. So yeah. it's it's part of him. It's in there. I I couldn't throw him under the bus for saying that. I think I think it is. I can't sincere. I love him. He's yeah. one of my favorite musicians of all time. Yeah. And I know it's you know I've only been listening to him ten years, but I know it's a lot to say. But like. He's he's my man, you know. I've got a lot of respect for the guy, and just to go back to that story that you're talking about, watching the crowd funnel out. Yeah, it was really hard for me to watch. I mean, really, I, I like Tyler Childers. I was sitting all the way in the back of the Civic Auditorium, like up, you know, up in the high rise. So literally watched all of these people just like filter out, and could see, like you said, roughly half, maybe even less, yeah, of a crowd. And it made it made the room sound worse, which was unfortunate. Yeah. Which made more people want to leave. Yeah. Because it wasn't filled out. Yeah. Um, it was just hard for me to see that. It, it was a and sad I personally moment. I personally like that record. Yeah, I do too. You know, I like that side, but that's not what people were there to see. Right. So it takes a lot of balls to do that. Yeah, and again, that's that's why that's why I don't think there's any way that he that he played that blue that he made cut that bluegrass record or both of them. Just to get his fan base back, yeah. Because he's, I I don't think so either. Because from what I think I know about him as a person, he's not anybody who would pander to anybody. I don't believe so. He's kind of a middle finger Jack White kind of guy, you mm-hmm. know, like screw the system. You know, Sturgill went and played out, busked outside of the CMAs, sure, with his Grammy and his guitar case, and was like, hey, nobody here knows who the hell I am. Yeah, you know, it's a pretty pretty punk rock attitude. It is a punk rock attitude, and that he's got. And I can't see him cutting a record just to please people. Yeah. I could have more seen him make something that was even more out there than Sound of Fury. Sure. Sure. <laughs> it's just kind of, you like that? And it might How be, about now? It might be around the corner. <laughs> Probably is. Yeah. So you're getting back into music, you think, after two years of a break? Yeah. Are you going mean, to meet some people in LA and try to play? It's kind of what I'm looking at doing. Go hang out at Hotel Cafe or something like that. Is that place still there? That's a good question, Ben. I haven't seen anything open the whole time that I've been there. I, you know, and this, I'm not going to get political here, but I will say, sadly enough, I I doubt that 50 percent of of the businesses are going to reopen. Yeah, that you know that were common beforehand. Yeah, yeah. hotel Which, cafe likely will, but yeah, um, a lot of yeah, the other ones, mom and pops won't. Mom and yeah. pops probably won't. It's a real bummer. Out. They've got yeah. some serious fences to mend and. California as a state, but all but specifically Los Angeles, I think. Yeah, yeah. They fucked up a little bit. Fucked up a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, 
I'm not going to go down this road. I'm yeah, not, you know, yeah. you don't have to, but they, but, but there's, there's a lot that needs to happen for that city to heal. For sure, because it, because from what I hear, and and this is anecdotal from people I know that live there, from you know people I hear comment about it, and I'm sure it's not as bad as everyone says, but you know it it, it resembles something very different than it did when you and I were there 15 or 16 years ago. Yeah, um, you know, just the fact that you said you can drive down the 10. Drive down but, the 10. Yeah, without yeah. traffic, like no traffic. Yeah, that that says something to me. Yeah. Yep. And I've, I've studied, I haven't studied, I've, I've checked out the, just the Google traffic map occasionally. Just, just look see, at it just, just to, to see. see. Just to see what's going on. And, yeah. you know, it's just like this uh, fuchsia, purple, you know. No red. It, 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 it just looks like the eye of a hurricane. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm excited for you, man. I really am. And, and yeah. I, I feel like the, you know, the world need you out there playing it seems like yeah, i appreciate that ben i i hope that i get back into it you know it's it's been a long break actually right before i came here i did my first studio session for i, I recorded a track with this group the burn and hermans who's oh yeah that's joey jacquard right joey jacquard plays in that group yeah yeah uh daniel monroe okay kind of songwriter leader of that group i guess so you tracked something today i did i tracked a a pedal steel part for them awesome right before i came here so that's first time i've been in a studio in two two plus years really well maybe this is it man maybe this is the new beginnings it could be do you feel rested do you feel recharged at all are you nervous i mean in terms of musically Mm -hmm. yeah do you feel like the two-year hiatus was what you needed to get some inspiration back i think i needed less than that okay but, but COVID happened oh yeah you know yeah and you needed six months to just breathe a little I, bit i needed about a year okay. and then once a year rolled around it's like oh wait you know there's very little opportunity to to get out there and and i took that time to just re reapproach what it was that that i enjoyed and what i wanted to get out of music for myself mm. you know learn to play you know, learned some finger picking styles on guitar, you know, played a lot of acoustic guitar, Mm. stuff that was sort of outside of my territory because that's not what people came to expect of me. But, you know, just, just tried, just going down different avenues and, you know, trying new things. So like riding a bike, you getting it back pretty easily? I think so. I mean, I probably could use some training wheels. Yeah. A little, yeah. Yeah feel you just knock a little rust off of them hit it with some wd-40 yeah it was it was a little tough being in the studio today in some ways but it was but it was also comfortable like i listened back to the uh, we, we we after we tracked i listened back to it, it was like wow I, I don't remember i don't know how i did that mm-hmm. it wasn't conscious necessarily really? not wow. all of it so so a lot of it is just kind of still built into you know muscle memory and you know what yeah. it is that i'm what it is that I remember about it. So it's in there. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. Just got to knock, knock a little dust off, a little rust off. Exactly. Pumped for you, man. Yeah. Did we miss anything? I don't know. What what other existential crisis would you like to know about? But this is my therapy. So. Well, I'm, you need a better therapist than me. I'll tell you that. that. You, you screwed up the rest of your life. <laughs> I'm really glad that, that we did this. I, I, and... If you go back and look at the first note that I made when I started to think about this podcast and the guests that I wanted, you were on one of the first 10 people I put down because I feel like you've been around and been making 
some of the most important music and with some of the most important people in this scene um, for a long time. And you're a big part of it. And we miss you a lot. Um, and I'm really glad that we, that we, that we finally were able to do this. And it was very serendipitous and I'm glad that it, that it happened. I appreciate you being here and I'm glad that we get to just hang out for a little bit too. More, more importantly, me too. Yeah. That to me is to talk to you. Is you too. Yeah. And take care and have a, uh, have a good time in LA. Thanks. Call me if you need me. I will. I'm. I'm gonna need some kind of uh, some kind of advice on how to get around Lower I'll, Hollywood. Yeah. I'll. I'll. Uh, I'll be out there soon too. So I'll. I'll. I'll hit you up. Please do. Take care. Been a pleasure, Ben. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Good luck in Los Angeles, Mr. Keeney. Hope to talk to you guys soon. Check out the Instagram, the Patreon, the blah 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 blah. You know where to find us. Engage with us. Send us an email, southwestcruffy at gmail.com. We like to read those questions on the air when we get them. Hope you guys are well. Take care of each other. America. Pitchwire. Play me out. <laughs>